Good morning, church. Uh, today, the reading of the scriptures is Romans chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. For if because one man trespassed, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness lead to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned, in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we praise you, Father, uh, for uh, your glorious word. We praise you, Father, for your word sustaining us, uh, keeping us, and guiding us. Uh, gracious God, I pray that as uh, our Pastor Chris uh, come and uh, preach, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be guiding him and feeding us lord with your word so we pray all these things in jesus name amen when my girls were growing up they used to go to a, a local farm that had a, a harvest festival the owners had set up a corn maze you know after the the corn had been harvested you have the stalks and they would set those stalks up for a maze for the kids uh, to walk through the goal, of course, was to reach the end, but especially for the kids, because at the end, the parents had promised that if they got through, they would get an ice cream cone from the farm's own dairy. Now, earlier this year, Karen and I, we visited our daughter and the grandkids at a much, we went to a much larger and more difficult type of maze. It was made of hedges. It took me several tries to try to find my way through. But, you know, my six-year-old grandson, he zoomed ahead of Grandpa, and he was all the way through while I was still trying to figure out where I was. Now, to be fair, uh, he had traveled through that maze uh, a couple other times before that time. Uh, but I also think that he might have made his own way tiny way through those uh, hedges and to make his, his own pathway. I'm just saying, you know. But there are mazes, all kinds of different mazes. Mazes built to confound, to confuse, and at times even to petrify those who try to get through them. Thrill-style movies, for instance, like to use mirror mazes where... People get caught in those and can't find their way out. But the most difficult of all mazes are called labyrinths. Labyrinths are really difficult types of mazes. And the, the most difficult in all the world is the Villa Pisani labyrinth over in Italy. Many individuals had to be rescued because they couldn't find their way out of that particular maze. You know, while mazes can be difficult, or they can be easy, depending on the maker's purpose, bottom line is, all of them have a beginning, and they have an end. 
You know, when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them into what we might call a spiritual maze. If they obeyed the rules and they trusted their guide, which would be God, at the end there would be a prize. It was the tree of life. However, if they failed, they would leave that beautiful winding maze that God had prepared and they would enter the maze of Harry Potter's nightmare. Our text today illustrates the consequences for Adam and his descendants by leaving God's path, while helping us also to understand how we can get back on that right path and return to the tree of life. And so as we look at this passage today, I would like you to consider this thought. While Adam's rebellion has brought horrible consequences in leaving God's path, Christ's righteousness has brought overwhelming gifts to those who believe. Our text is sort of like a time capsule. It leaps us backward in time to the very beginning of the human race. As we examine the passage before us, notice that we are confronted with the implications of Adam's disobedience. It is that moment when Eve and Adam, they are standing before the tree of knowledge. Eve has just taken a bite of that forbidden fruit. And she hands it over to Adam with a look of surprised thrill at the wonderful taste. Adam hesitates for a moment, and then he, too, bites into that fruit. The implications of that disobedience are revealed for us in verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. At that moment, Adam and Eve left the path of life And they entered into the labyrinth of death with all of its evil consequences for all of their descendants. And so as as we look at this passage, I want you to notice the anathema of disobedience that came in the curse. You see, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he said that if anyone proclaimed another gospel other than salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, let him be anathema. Anathema means to be eternally condemned. In modern jargon, we might say something like, go to hell. But Paul here in our text is a little bit nicer when he shares with us in verse 17. For it is because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Eternal death and the condemnation that comes with it. You see, Adam and Eve, they stood at a crossroads below that tree of life, or tree of knowledge. For at that moment, there were two pathways that they could choose. Before them was the wonderful and beautiful maze of what God's intent for humanity was. God had created a garden of delight, a paradise walkway towards maturity and growing up in fellowship with God. To their side was a smooth-talking serpent, Satan's carnival barker, inviting them to someplace more exciting, 
to a faster route to that promised delight. And the moment that Adam partook of that fruit, the trap was sprung. Thunder rolled. The ground shook. And that beautiful pathway of life disappeared. Like Alice, through the trap door, they slid into the labyrinth of death and despair on a road to hell. This was no Disney ride with emanated scares. It was the anathema of death. But I also want you to notice in this passage the agony of disobedience that resulted from their disobedience. You see, the the paradise was forever lost. Now all of creation itself had turned against them. Jurassic Park became a reality. Pandemics of illness, floods, tsunamis, forest fires, blizzards, deserts, landslides, murders, war, drugs, and more. And that's the meaning that we see of what happens in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, condemned humanity to wander through life, ever wandering, but never finding the right way, never reaching the end, tossed about by every wily salesman hawking a new magical way to get out of this maze. Religions set up their temples for the unwary. Drug stores promised escape through highs. Nations called soldiers to protect their own little bit of the dirt in that maze. But all people trudged on, ever seeking, never finding. New fads came and went. New gurus promised empty answers. Life was a mixture of the Matrix, the Prisoner, Truman Show, 1984, the Hunger Games. Everyone condemned in this life to a hopelessness and in the next to separation from all that is good and beautiful in the agony of hell. But there's a third thing that we see from this text concerning the disobedience of Adam. Notice the alienation of disobedience that came through his action. For ultimately, Adam's act of disobedience led to the worst of all consequences, the alienation from his creator. God is the source of life. He is the source of hope. But through Adam's choice, the whole of humanity slid into the fire swamp with all of its ugliness, thinking they were entering a a world where maturity came instantaneously. They soon learned that they were trapped on Groundhog's Day to repeat the same mistakes, but never grow, never learn, never overcome. As verse 19 begins, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Sinners are not just those who commit sin. Sinners are people who are trapped. They're trapped in an endless cycle of emptiness, hopelessness, condemned to forever make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Like Sisyphus, who was condemned to roll a boulder up the hill, and then just as he reached the top, that boulder would roll back down, and he would have to start it all over again the next day. 
So humanity educates itself with nonsense and repeats the same errors of our ancestors over and over again. You see, Paul wrote that we are alienated from God because of our evil behavior. We are cursed with an anathema of everlasting death, living in agony and fear of that death, seeking escape but finding none, trapped in an endless maze of alienation through our own failures and immaturity. And so humanity trudges on, always sensing the call of the divine, but too foolish to seek for the truth. But into our human lostness, God gave the law. Surely this would be the means of escape, a a return to the, the promised paradise that was lost. But notice the implications of the Mosaic directions. For though God entered into our fearful maze that day on Mount Sinai, to bring with him the directions and instructions for how to escape the maze, our spiritual immaturity blinded us to the meaning and the direction of the law. Oh, the law was good. The signage was clear. But human beings had become deaf and blind. Like Peter Pan, we had never grown up. We failed even spiritual preschool. And so we guessed at what the law meant. Instead of leading us out of the maze, it ended up sending us deeper into our own lostness. In Romans 7, we find out why. It says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Like archaeologists who discover a, a, a new language, but then have no means of interpreting it. Humanity began to twist and turn God's law into manacles that further enslaved those who sought to follow his directions. So what does that mean for us? Well, notice the avoidance of sin was the original purpose of the law. You see, God began to put those signs throughout the maze, warning of the dangers that were coming ahead. The Ten Commandments, the laws about community living, Directions on how to find God in worship. All of these were designed to turn the community around and send us back to the beginning so that we could walk the path of God. And that's the meaning that we see in verse 20 when it says, now the law came in. Oh, that sounds so promising. It sounds so good. But if you've ever been in a detailed maze, Wouldn't it have been really nice to have some signs that pointed you in which direction you should go? But what if those signs were in Sanskrit or perhaps Egyptian hieroglyphics? Instead of helping, they would begin to frustrate you. Or what if the signs were pictography, picture language, but you didn't understand the pictures? You might guess at its meaning, but what if you got that meaning wrong? And that's what we did. As human beings, we constantly misinterpreted what God was saying through his law. God had given the law to warn the people to to avoid the dangers so that they could be guided out of this darkness and back to the right path. 
but no one could understand the meaning because they had never matured. They had never grown up spiritually to read God's heavenly language. So God's purpose for the law to lead to avoidance of sin ended up actually failing. But there is then in our text another concept about the law. Notice the awareness of sin was raised by the law. You see, the problem with the law was not that the law itself was bad. However, the law acted like salt given to a thirsty horse who would then go plunging into the water, even if the water was poisoned. The law made sinners more aware of ways to sin. The stop signs of God became go signs to sinners. As verse 20 goes on to say, now the law came in to increase. God says, don't covet your neighbor's property. For the sinner, that acts like a red flag in front of a bull. I hadn't really noticed my neighbor's property until it was pointed out to me. And then all of a sudden, I began to desire what the Joneses have. Our culture exemplifies this more every day. The constant take from the rich and give to the poor. Make the rich pay their fair share. Give me more unemployment than I could earn in a day's wage. Our very advertisements flash across the screen. Covetousness is good. You deserve this. Serve your own inner desires. Be selfish. Whether it's the Ten Commandments or the cultic rules that warn about other religions or the civil laws that tell us what the limits are when we are... Working in society, human nature will rebel. Tell a child not to reach out and touch something, and all they want to do then is reach out and touch it. Tell a person to stay in their house, and sooner or later, all they can think about is getting out of their house. Someone once said that laws are made to be broken. Well, that seems to be the motto of human life. So the law then erased awareness of sin, which then drew humanity deeper into their rebellion. But I want you to see a third thing about the mosaic implications. Notice how it caused the amplification of sin as well. Although Adam and Eve, who coveted the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, had this paradise of beautiful fruit trees. And yet, they wanted that one that they couldn't have. So every human being covets what they don't have, or perhaps even what they shouldn't have. Verse 20 completes this thought when it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Our sinful immaturity was brought about because Adam chose a shortcut to the knowledge rather than the pathway to maturity. As a result, humanity continues to act like little children. Without spiritual insights that come through interaction with our Heavenly Father, human beings remain in spoiled immaturity, wanting selfish desires rather than 
understanding what it means to, to grow up and to act like spiritually mature adults. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, human beings are immature children tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine, philosophy, and new fad. Life is a constant baby bawling for attention, grabbing for anything that we want. So far, you have learned about the dangerous maze the human race entered into through Adam's action. In a moment, Pastor Chris will show how Jesus Christ solved that maze and leads us to eternal life. If you have questions about Jesus Christ, God, and faith, we have a gift that contains many answers that we will send you upon request. Also, if you need a Bible, you may request one with the gift by emailing us at metbaptist@outlook.com or writing to us at Metropolitan Baptist Church, 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. We also encourage you to listen to other messages by going to our website, www.metbaptist.com. Is there any escape from the labyrinth of despair? Yes, yes, and much more, yes. You see, the law has pointed out our immaturity, but it also prepared the way for the Savior to come. Since human beings could never move past their infantile obsession with self, a true guide was needed. One who could reverse the effects of the fall. It is to him we now turn as we notice the implications of Christ's decision. For Jesus, like Adam, stood before the tree of knowledge when he entered the wilderness to face the temptation of the devil. Adam is the federal head, that is the, the individual who represented and, and, and was the beginning of all humanity, is now replaced by Jesus Christ. He is now the federal head of those who will trust in him. Adam and Eve were faced with three temptations. But ultimately, there was a deeper choice that they had to make. Would they trust God's long-term plan for their maturity to make them wise, or would they take Satan's shortcut? By their choice, all of humanity was plunged into that labyrinth of death. Well, you know, Jesus, too, faced three temptations. But ultimately, his choice was to follow the Father's path, not to take Satan's shortcut. And that's the comparison that we find in verse 15 of our text. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Jesus chose the Father's path to the cross. And by doing so, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And so as we look at Christ's decision to follow the right path, I want you to notice the abundance of grace that comes out of that. At the end of Satan's maze, rather than an ice cream cone, came the chopping block of eternal damnation. Someone had to get to the end and stop 
that tragic conclusion to life. So Jesus Christ followed the path of righteousness. He arrived at the end and he faced death on the cross. And when he faced death on the cross, he then broke the gates of hell for those who would follow him. We recognize that in verse 17. It says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not sure how many Christians really understand what happened at the cross. What did it truly accomplish? We're certain that by grace through faith, our sins are forgiven. Almost every Christian can tell you that. And we've heard over the past weeks that God has justified us by declaring us not guilty. But what does that mean for us? And how does what Jesus did interact with what Adam did? That's really what this whole passage is about. You see, justification means that we get a fresh start. It is not only that our sin is forgiven, but the very consequences of Adam's sin that were met at the cross and in the resurrection are neutralized. God has graciously taken us back through faith in Jesus Christ to the point before where Adam partook of that fruit. The effect of Adam's sin remains in this world, but the Christian is given a fresh start on that pathway towards maturity. Through the abundance of God's grace, Christians receive the free gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ as we learn to follow His pathway through the maze of maturity as we avoid the labyrinth of death. But we also notice that through Jesus' decision, we notice the acceptance of God for those who trust in Christ. Returning your thoughts back to Genesis 3. And there you have Adam and Eve. They partake of that fruit and they meet God's righteous anger. They're cast out of the garden. They are removed from the tree of life. In order to receive access back to that tree of life, God's wrath had to be appeased. And so verse 18 reminds us, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. In other words, the cross appeased the wrath of God. Through his death, the death of the righteous one, Jesus took the full punishment of sin upon himself. And God accepted his death in our place. He then proved that acceptance by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. In that one act of righteousness, Jesus completed the course of obedience He was, as the writer of Hebrews says, made perfect in his obedience. That is, fully mature. And now he has made the way for all men, women, and children who will believe on Jesus Christ to be restored to that pathway of righteousness. You see, our Christian walk is a walk following the footsteps of our Savior. Or, as verse 18 says, it is a restoration of life for all having been justified, now can follow that pathway that leads to the tree of life. The beginning of the chapter says it so well. 
beginning of Romans 5, declares that we have been justified, and through that we have peace with God, and we have access to the grace in which we now stand. A grace that allows us to walk that path of righteousness. But there's a third thing that we see through what Christ's decision means for us. Notice the amending of goodness, the the healing of goodness. You see, there we have it. Jesus Christ has undone the effects of Adam's sin. By faith in him, rather than plunging into the labyrinth of death, taking us down into that maze of despair, we get to enter the pathway of righteousness. It is as if Adam's sin hadn't happened for us. Forgiven in Jesus Christ, we now get to walk the pathway that God prepared that ends on the tree of life. Listen to verse 19. So by one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. This is not only the declaration that we are forgiven. Oh, how powerful and wonderful that truth is. To know that all of our sins are gone forever. To be restored to a peace with God. That's phenomenal. But there is much, much more. You see, our way forward from the moment of regeneration is fixed, repaired, amended. We are brought out of the rabbit hole back into the real world of God's love and of His life. By the eyes of faith, we begin to see the celestial city as we walk the path of life with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And this is the wonder of verse 21. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Poured out so generously on us because our Savior, Jesus Christ, walked the path of obedience and of righteousness conquered the power of sin in death and restored us to the Garden of Eden. He set our feet on that path of righteousness that leads to maturity and eternal life. As our federal head, he has brought us back to the place where our original federal head, Adam, failed. But Christ has accomplished this new life for us. And so as we look at this passage, I want to ask you, are you walking in the pathway of death? Have you plunged with Adam into that labyrinth of despair? Have you turned away from the path that that God has? All of humanity has done that. Are you still there? trying to find your way out, trying to find hope for your life and for eternity? The answer is found in Jesus Christ. He wants to take you back to that place where you can have a right relationship with God and begin walking the path of righteousness that leads to eternal life. 
And those of you who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you've trusted in Him, are you living in the overflow of that grace that allows you, through Christ Jesus, to walk in the right relationship with God and to find eternal life at the end of your life? May God speak to us through this word today. Give us hope and give us a promise for tomorrow through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, whether we were five years old, 15, or 50, every one of us knows in some way that there is an emptiness. We've seen how selfish we are. We've seen the, the, the road that we have where we want to do what's right, but so often we find ourselves doing what is wrong. And as we continue on in that pathway of human life here on earth, we find it more and more to be a labyrinth a maze that has no end. But thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him, we can be restored to that original paradise where there was fellowship with God and we can begin to live for you and in you to receive life and hope. If there are those listening today who do not have a living, vital relationship of God with you through faith in Jesus Christ, open up their hearts and minds and let them turn, calling out to you that they might find through Jesus Christ the answer to their emptiness and their loneliness. Thank you, Lord God, for those that you have already touched their lives and may they grow up and become mature in Christ Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Isn't it great to know that God has canceled out the dangers of the labyrinth of death and placed us on the pathway of righteousness? This gracious gift makes life worth living and gives hope for eternity. For those who have found this hope in Christ Jesus, you have reason to rejoice. If you do not have this hope, however, and want to know more about the truths discussed in today's sermon, please contact us at metbaptist@outlook.com, or check us out at our website at www.metbaptist.com. God bless.